Remain standing, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. And if you do not have them, then listen carefully to the Word of God as we begin in verse 13 of Matthew 14. Now hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus heard it, that is, picking back up from the last Lord's Day, when he heard of the news of the beheading of John the Baptist under Herod the Tetrarch, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when his multitudes heard it, they followed him on the foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, He saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said to bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit on the grass, and he took five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men besides women and children. Our gracious Father in heaven, we pray that you would open our eyes up to the lesson, to the exhortation, and to the will that you would have for us this day, and apply these things spiritually to our lives through the Spirit of God, who penned these words so many years ago for our learning today. We pray that the Spirit of God would fall fresh upon the preaching of the Word, that as the Word is preached... This would be our worship. It would be our worship as we receive it with the intent to do it and to bring all glory and honor to your holy name. We pray that you would fix upon our hearts uh, the application that we need to leave here to go and be doers of the word and that we would trust our Lord and Savior in every situation in all walks of life and when things look very desperate. We pray that we would bring it all to Jesus, and we pray that you would show us yourself and show us your glory today and every day after this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> what we read before us <clears throat> in this particular event marks here a new chapter, not in Matthew, but a new chapter in our Lord's ministry, <clears throat> and I'm going to fuss here with water and hacking for the remainder of our time together, so be patient, please. We see from this point onward, the Lord begins to withdraw more and more from the crowds and the public life of the ministry, and he begins to focus his attention on discipling the twelve more intensely. So noted is Jesus' withdrawal at this particular point and the subsequent chapters that many students of Matthew and the commentaries have said 
that he is continuing to progressively withdraw from the public and focus his time on the twelve, that many commentaries or some commentaries would refer to this section following as the withdrawal of the king. Now Matthew has emphasized up till now the crowds and the multitudes. And we will see, even as Jesus withdraw, that the crowds and the multitudes will still find him and he will still still minister to them. And in fact, on this particular occasion, as he withdraws, we find that this miracle, he affects more people directly than any other miracle that he performed in his earthly ministry. In fact, of all the 35 miracles that Jesus is said to have performed in the Gospels, this is the only one that all four Gospels give an account. And all four emphasize something a little different about the miracle, according to what their purpose was, according to who their audience was, and according to the perspective that they're giving for the context of their gospel. But I think it's notable that Jesus and his disciples withdrew on this particular occasion. The bad news had just come from John the Baptist that he had been beheaded by Herod the Tetrarch. And the disciples went and they took the body and they buried it and they brought word back to Jesus. As I put myself in that particular situation in my mind's eye, I thought about how, how challenging that would be. How difficult, if you think about the scene. The the shock of the sudden news. John had been in prison for over a year in Tetrarch or Herod's palace. But all of a sudden, in a moment's notice, his head was offered up upon a platter. And the sudden, or the shock of the sudden news of this tragic death of their friend, who they knew. The drama of then taking the rejected and beheaded corpse of their friend to bury. And then the grief and the confusion that must have then followed. And the response that Jesus had was to take his twelve disciples and to withdraw from the public to grieve and to mourn and to spend some time with His heavenly Father and to get some well-needed rest. In fact, Mark's Gospel reveals that Jesus said to His disciples on that occasion, come aside by yourselves to depart to a deserted place and rest a while. That's what they needed. They needed to rest with the Savior. It was right in this context that we see Jesus then performing this miracle of feeding 5,000 men, plus the women, plus the children. He was weary, he was tired, he was emotionally grieved, yet he had compassion on the people, and he always took time to minister to them in spite of the desire at that moment to be alone and his need for much rest. And what is notable about this miracle is the main audience to which the miracle is aimed in its main purpose. Remember that our Lord's miracles were to provide the evidence to the people 
that he was the Son of God so that they would believe his message. That, were the, that was the purpose of his works. They were to testify that he indeed was the Messiah and that his message was to be heard. That was the purpose of miracles. And if we compare the accounts uh, in those four or three other accounts of this same miracle in the other Gospels, we can see more clearly really what's going on here, and that will provide some context for us in Matthew's account. If we consider John's account, which he gives to us in the sixth chapter of John, of this particular miracle, it was just before the discourse on the bread of life, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That provided the immediate context. The miracle in John chapter 6, as he begins, as John begins to unfold this particular miracle, it says, then Jesus lifted up his eyes. He saw a great multitude coming toward him. And he says this, now listen, what happens next? Matthew doesn't record this, but John does. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And what John reveals about this miracle is that this was really a test for his disciples. The next verse goes on and says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii is not, or worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them might have just a little. 200 denarii was about 200 days of wages for a laborer in that time. That's a, a lot of money. That's a lot of food. And he says it wouldn't even begin to give them but a little. And John records the people's response then in this particular miracle as they observed the miracle that afternoon. And it says in verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Something very notable was recognized and observed among all of the people there. They they recognized something to the extent that they said, This is the prophet. But the people really did not understand who Jesus was. The next day, the Lord rebuked them. And he corrected the people because they sought him out, not because he was the Son of God, not because they had seen that he was deity, but because they got a free lunch the day before. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs. They weren't connecting the dots. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And then he begins his discourse on the bread of life. Now, as we see this miracle in Matthew's account, he has very little, Matthew has very little of the backstory of what's going on here, like John presented to us. For Matthew, this event is not so much about explaining all of the details, which he does very little about. He just kind of lays it out there. But for Matthew, this becomes one of the events in a sequence of events that will follow. That what we began seeing in the sequence of events it reveals to us really what our Lord is doing, what Matthew's intent is to reveal what the Lord is doing. 
he begins this sequence of events and discipling his twelve. It is not that Jesus was finished ministering to the crowds, but that he withdrew for them in order to focus on the twelve. And when the crowds found him, he always ministered to him. The crowds will seek him out, but the main emphasis was now on the twelve. So while the primary benefactors of this miracle were all of the people, 5,000 men plus the women plus the children, the primary lesson to be learned was for the disciples. And there should also be an application very relevant to us. If you're here and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ today, then primarily this is for you. You have a lesson here as equal to the lesson that Jesus was teaching His disciples. In fact, it is the same lesson. And what you begin to see over and over now is the Lord discipling His twelve. In fact, what you will see over and over is the disciples do not necessarily appear in a good light. They communicate misunderstanding, faithlessness, and even folly. What our Lord has done is He offers the ministry to all, but He draws back and He focuses His ministry to those who have truly given him, their heart. And what we see is an example that if you have truly given Christ your heart, you are the primary audience this morning for observing the lesson that the Lord would have for you today. The Lord wants His disciples To learn the lesson. And He wants you as His disciple to learn the lesson that is beginning to unfold before us in the feeding of the 5,000. First of all, we see in this passage that Jesus withdrew to a deserted place and that thousands of people were willing to pursue Him. A large crowd of them were willing to walk around the lake. Jesus had just gotten into the boat around Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, which is somewhat of an egg-shaped like sea, about 13 miles wide and about 8 miles miles wide and 13 miles long this way. I was trying to find some kind of analogy that would help us to understand, but we don't have lakes like nice oval-shaped We have lakes that are just all this way. The Percy um, Reservoir on the other side is about 13 miles long and about five and a half to six miles wide. But it's kind of a splintered. uh, On the very northern part, from Capernaum over to Bethsaida, which is where Jesus and his disciples got in a boat, it would only be about a three and a half mile journey. And the people would see Jesus getting into the boat and heading over toward the east. 
And immediately they would get and begin to go around the Sea of Galilee, around the northern part, in more of the not very long, only about a five-mile journey. It wasn't that large. Not that long. But it was a treacherous part on the northern part of the sea. They had to ford over the, the Jordan River, which flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then out again. But in the northern part, the, north, the Jordan is up there. They had a lot of rocky and terrain up, up in the northern part. It was not easy terrain that they had to navigate over. And they would see up from the cliffs and the mountains the little boat that's going across the sea. There he is, and there he is. And like a big frenzy on a good Friday morning of people that wanted to stand in line, that here they go in order to get to Jesus. And when Jesus got to the other side, thinking that, well, at least his disciples thinking anyway, that, There they were, finally in a deserted place in the region of Bethsaida. There the crowds were waiting for him. Matthew doesn't tell us why those people are there, as John did. What John says, the majority of those people were there, was not really because they understood Jesus' person, but really more the benefits that they could receive from him physically and temporally. In fact, Matthew does allude to this when it says that they were bringing him his sick and he healed all of their sick. There are people in churches all over our country this morning, many of whom are not there because of Jesus, not because of his person, but for some other benefit to them personally that accompanies the ministry of Jesus or is a product of the ministry of Jesus or is a fruit of the ministry of Jesus, but they're not there for Jesus. Some people are in the church because of some social connection or because it's a wholesome community or of a society in which they belong and they have some affirmation and validation. Others are in church today because of some role they play, giving them some belonging and importance in life. Others are in churches because it's the only place they can be accepted in society. Others are in churches because of some direct physical benefit that their home church gives them, but perhaps maybe it's strictly a benevolence kind of thing. And some people are in churches for just, I have no idea why. Speaking of that benevolence thing, I was in seminary, and we were taking a course from a particular professor who was a pastor, and he had mentioned an occasion where this woman comes to the church, and she was destitute and very difficult, and she was an aged woman, and she was reaching out to the church to help uh, with some food. And so the whole church just felt sorry for her and rallied around her on a Wednesday night prayer meeting and then took her in and gave her food, and, and they put her up in a hotel. And, and this went on for a couple of months. And she became a regular fixture every time the doors were open. Wednesday night prayer meetings, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We just got really involved. And one day, uh, the pastor received a phone call from the daughter of this aged, widowed woman, and 
she had finally called out to her mom and confessed to the pastor that, yes, my, my mother does not need your help financially. She's actually very well off. And she has done this from church to church to church. We have no idea why she does this. The pastor and the, the deacons then confronted the woman to which she confessed, and just to rub it a little bit in their face, she uh, came to church the following Lord's Day, and as soon as church was out, she had her limo drive up in front of the church to escort her away to where she would go and find another church to prey upon them, the same kind of thing. True story. And I know the pastor that actually fielded that particular situation. Some people, we just don't know why they go to church. But they're not there for Jesus. How many people are in church today for Him? We come to church for Him. We come to church today to ascribe glory to His name. We come to worship Him. We come to honor Him. We come to give Him our praise. And yet here were all of these crowds, all of these thousands that have trekked their way around the Sea of Galilee to come to Jesus, but not for Him personally, as much as the benefits that He was offering. And folks, this is a big mistake to measure anyone's ministry in terms of the crowds. In fact, even Jesus' ministry here was evidenced by large crowds, but not necessarily because of what was in their heart. These people were willing to trek around the Sea of Galilee, not once, but then back again. Not for the right reasons, not because they understood Him as deity, but because of some personal interest they had that He could address. And we see in verse 14, the next thing that He did do is He did address that. In verse 14, it says, And when Jesus went out and saw the great multitude, He was moved with compassion for them, and He healed their sick. See, our Lord is compassionate even to people like that. He healed all their sick wherever He went. And can you imagine that? How many towns and villages were there throughout Galilee? And everywhere He went, He healed all their sick. Can you imagine what the implications of that would be? If Jesus went through Nashville and healed all the sick and all the hospitals were just immediately emptied? And wherever He went, He healed. Even when they didn't get the main point that they were supposed to. But Romans 2, 4 tells us it is that kind of goodness, that kind of compassion, and that kind of thing that is what God uses to lead people to repentance. He leads us to repentance with His goodness. How many times has the Lord filled your bank account 
How many times has He heard your cry? How many times has He healed your sickness? How many times has He protected you? How many times has He provided encouragement in your despair? All of these goodnesses have an end to them. They are to lead you to repentance and stronger faith. And often the main point of those kindnesses is that very thing, to lead you to repentance. As evening came, these people were genuinely hungry. They had followed him around the lake. It had been quite a journey in the ancient world. They often lived like third world countries do today. They lived really at a sustenance level. And these people had not eaten much, some of whom may not have eaten at all for quite some time. And the disciples themselves even sensed that these people had great need. And our Lord was concerned about that. But third, we see that this occasion was designed by the Lord to disciple His disciples. It was a discipling opportunity primarily aimed at His disciples. Matthew doesn't give us all that detail. He doesn't necessarily explain that situation, but we will see in the sequence to come what Matthew is doing with this first of the sequence. If we could take time and just investigate this and read broadly through chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, we will see this is what he's doing. But notice how he begins this sequence of discipleship in verse 16. When his disciples said, send them away, Jesus says to them, they do not need to go away. Not necessary. You give them something to eat. Now what he just did is he just commanded them to do something that was quite impossible. The Lord commands them entirely something beyond their human capability. They had already done the math, or at least expressed, Philip had said, 200 denarii is not even enough to give them a little bit, and you're saying go feed them? Verse 17 reveals really where the true need is. And they said to him, here we only have five loaves and two fish. That's all we have. And we know from John's gospel that that it was Andrew that brought it. And the way he puts it, here are two fish and five loaves, but what are these against so many? The need was not really at all how much money they needed to go out and buy a lot of food for them at this late hour. The need was not how much food they actually had on hand among so many lot of people. The need for his disciples was faith. It was faith. They were in the presence of God the Creator Himself. The one God. The one Lord. And all they needed was to trust Him. 
And then the Lord gives a directive that reveals the right approach to us. He said in verse 18, bring them here to me. Don't you love that? Lord, this is all we have. Bring them here to me. Remember what he said to Philip? He, he, he knew what he was going to do. He said this to Philip in order to test his disciples. See, John gives us the backstory here. Matthew's not giving us that. Bring them here to me. And that's what we are to do. That's the directive for you and me. What if one of his disciples had said rather this, Lord, we have five loaves and two fish, and for you, that is sufficient. What if you were to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I only have this amount, but with you, it is sufficient. There's a difference there in the posture of faith and the posture of despair. But how often we are in similar situations with this, that we look around and we, we say, well, there's not enough money for this. There's not enough resources for this. Everything we have on hand is not near enough. But what should our right response be is directed by Jesus here. Just bring what you have to me. He knows you don't have enough. That is the point. Now look what he does. And see, everything that is being taught here is something that every family of heritage ought to be about. Lord, we don't have enough. But it is sufficient for you. Take it to the Lord. It's what every member needs to be about in this congregation. Lord, I do not have enough. Bring it to the Lord. And it will be sufficient. You don't bring it to the Lord? Don't expect it. Presumption and faith are quite different. He wants His people before Him in prayer. But not frustrated. Not, not in great fear. He wants them in prayer before Him, saying, Lord, with You it is sufficient. Let me behold Your glory. It's what this church needs. When we consider what God has commanded us to do, and what little resources we have, heritage, go and disciple the state of Tennessee. Lord, we only have 180 people here. This is a liberal context. The resources are so little. Bring them here to me. Lord, the, the church building is beyond our measure and capacity. We don't have the resources. Bring what you have to me. Lord, there's not enough time in the day for me to get the work done that you've called me to do. Marion, bring them to me. Bring the little that you have 
When we know that we are doing the right thing, and that God has directed us, and yet there are not enough resources on hand, that it is impossible for us to achieve what we have, then we are to bring it to the Lord and expect Him to act and move and to accomplish that which He has commanded. It is not a trite saying that has been handed down to us from Augustine. Command what thou wilt, and grant what thou commandest. Because what God will command, He will command that which is impossible for us. And if we try to accomplish it in the arm of the flesh, and we try to accomplish it without taking what we have to Jesus, we will fall down. We will grow in despair. We will have reason to worry. But you bring before God what He has commanded and say, this is what I lack, but here with you, Lord, it is sufficient. Now, grant what you have commanded. He doesn't leave it with us to solve the problems. He creates the scenario. He brings us into the problem so that we might bring whatever we have to Him for Him to solve the problem. And the Lord is trying to get His disciples to own this principle and to believe this principle just like he's trying to get you to do the same thing here this morning. We ought to be saying with the Lord, Lord, with you it is enough. The Lord is trying to get his disciples to see that point. In fact, the next chapter he's going to be uh, feeding another group, 4,000, the next chapter. And you know how they respond? Where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these mouths? I mean just the next chapter. 1,000 people less. 20% less population. And the first reaction they have, where are we going to get enough to feed all these? So he does it again. And he intends for these lessons to stick. And he then rebukes his disciples when it does not. And so we have... In a little bit, in chapter 16, they face another situation. And finally, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, do you not remember the five loaves and the two fish that I fed the 5,000 men plus the women and the children? Do you not remember that? Do you not remember the 4,000? And now you're just questioning if we have a little bread. I'm not talking about that. He says, you're not getting it. Oh, you of little faith. And that is the issue. He intends the lesson on this occasion to stick with them. Even though the 5,000 may be seeking Him for other reasons. May they come the next day because they got a free lunch. But for these 12 who have given Jesus their heart except for one, He expects them 
to come to every situation where they have already come through and remember what he has done, did, did for them and remember the point, remember the occasion, remember the details so that when they are in their new situation, they are not in despair, but they say, yes, Jesus, you've done this, you've done this, now let me see you do it again. But how much we are so like them, easily forgetting and of little faith. Now, verses 19 and through 20, uh, Matthew expresses this amazing miracle. Now, all the miracles are amazing. That's their point. This one affects a lot of people. And he performs an amazing miracle, and everyone who saw it was supposed to see and comprehend the display of Jesus' glorious deity. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up into heaven, look at that posture, and he blessed and he broke it, and he gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitudes, so they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Initially, the large part of the crowd may have been kind of on the skirts of it and not quite aware of really what was going on up in the forefront. But those on the front row seated in their little lots could see and see and see. And they began digesting it and pretty soon they began talking among themselves, and before you know it, all 5,000 men and the women and the children wonder, where did all this food come? They did not have food when they came. But the disciples were right smack in the middle of it. Just kept on going, kept on going. Philip, look what's going on here, Philip. Andrew, you know what's going on here, Andrew. Peter, (laughs) Peter, I want you to remember this, Peter. They were smack in the middle of it. Do you understand what they were seeing was nothing less than an act of creation? Before their very eyes, the God of heaven and the God of earth who had created this from the very beginning is standing right before them and creating so that in the end there were 12 baskets full. Why do you think 12? Because each one of those disciples probably had to carry one back for himself. One for you, one for you, one for you, one for you. I know you're not going to eat all that, but I want you to remember all of that. They didn't have to eat all that. As long as they had Jesus with them, there was absolutely nothing that they would ever have need or want for. Nothing. And Jesus has promised you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And as long as your heart has given to Jesus, the same promise is for you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. never have want or need so long as Jesus is your shepherd. This was creation. 
Did not the psalmist says about God who gives food to all flesh and His mercy endures forever? The Lord who gives food to the hungry, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners, and right in their presence, that is what is going on. J.C. Ryle, who was commenting on this particular passage, says what Jesus was doing that day, right in front of their eyes, there was no magician or imposter that would ever have attempted what Jesus did here. You could never fool people who were hungry that they were full. This was only something that none other than the Creator Himself could accomplish. At the conclusion of the miracle, verse 20, so they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets of fragments. And those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. Each of those 12 disciples had a full basket left over that they could take and they could think about and they could meditate over and they could remember and they could digest and they could begin to think about what has happened to in their presence this day and who this was that had befriended them and called them and taken them aside and began to comfort them and provide what they needed. And yet Jesus would later refer back to this. Don't you remember? Oh, you have little faith. Don't you remember? Far, far more in the end that was in the beginning. Far more left over than what we ever began with. Don't you remember? When there is so little to work with, and we are doing everything we know that we're supposed to be doing, we just take it to Jesus to see Him make much from it. Right? I mean, you know this. You have read this miracle from your childhood, but this is for you today to see the Creator in the midst of every situation where you find that you're wanting. But if you know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're faithful, sometimes Jesus just creates the tension of a test to see if you're just going to bring it to Him. Sometimes we feel that all we have is five barley cakes to feed 5,000 people. And that's all our Lord wants you to see. You can't do it. You're not the Savior. You're not the Creator. But He's given you a command that is impossible for you to accomplish. But with God, all things are possible. Bring it to Jesus. Bring them here to me, he says. And all our Lord wants for us is to be faithful with what he asks us to do. He doesn't want us to be the problem solver. He just wants us to take it to him so that he can have the opportunity to display his glory in your presence. And as we bring it to him with whatever we have on hand, it will not be enough. But as we look to Him, it will be. It will be more than enough. Because God is the one who gives the increase. And only God can. 
I believe the Lord would have us to carry these kinds of things away from this occasion, this morning, as we have looked afresh into the feeding of the 5,000, and God would have us to now take this and make the application specific to our own lives. To know the kind of miraculous events that He has done in the time past, that by work of His providence, He continues to do today. We often talk about God's miracles and miracles today, and I will say, But I believe miracles were special acts of God given in very specific time to register that act of God with the messenger to authenticate the message. But I say that to say this, that I believe that God works continually and supernaturally in this world that he views it as just ordinary to work supernaturally in our midst when we think such would be a miracle. This is his ordinary daily work in the lives of his people and we call that providence. And that is just as supernatural as a miracle back then. Just different purpose. So the very act of God that was going on there is something that He does for us today. The same power that was displayed then is the same power He has given to us. Ephesians tells us in chapter 1 that the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, He has given to His church. All power in heaven has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And all authority, therefore, church, go with it. Go with it. I will make you successful. Just bring it to me. Years ago, there was a student at Wheaton College who received his monthly bill in the mail for his room and board and his tuition. He was so overwhelmed, he took it into the president's office, Dr. Edmund. And without a word, he sat across the desk in the little blue sheet of paper. He shoved it across the desk for Dr. Edmund to see. And Dr. Edmund took the bill and he looked at it and it said, uh, due, $29.75. He looked up at the student who was in somewhat of a dismay and Dr. Edmund replied, well, son, how much money do you have? He says, only 75 cents. Gives the bill back to the student. He says, I want you to turn over on the back of that sheet of paper and I want you to write this equation. 75 cents is to $29.75 As two fish and five loaves are to 5,000 men plus the women and the children. As he begins to write the equation, he only got to the place where it said 5,000 men. And right there, his pencil dropped, his head dropped, and he just went into prayer, confessing his lack of faith to the Lord. 
student went out of the office, and the very next day, Dr. Edmund saw the student joyfully waving that bill that had been paid in full by some caring individual. Years later, he came back to the school as an alumni, and he reported in testimony that he learned a lesson that day that 75 cents is to $29.75 as five loaves and two fish are to 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. Folks, God would have us to remember and to rehearse the stories that are here for the discipleship of your lives that do you trust Him? Will you trust Him with whatever you have on hand? The miracle here was to display His glory to the masses, but John informs us that very few people got it. And the real impact was primarily for his 12. And primarily the impact here this morning is for you disciples who've given your heart to Jesus. Folks, there is a concept of rescripting our lives with the gospel and with faith that God would desire of us. Rescripting it. Rescripting is like saying 75 cents is to $29.75 as five loaves and two fish are to 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. And when we find ourselves in a desperate situation, hard pressed, we need to remember what God did here. We need to remember what God did to the 4,000. We need to remember what He has done for you in your life already, what he, how He has saved you and brought you in a very supernatural way to Himself. Not to lead you out of Egypt so you would starve to death in the wilderness. No. But so He could lead you right into the promised land flowing with milk and honey, fortified with cities you did not build, with vineyards of which you did not plant. That is your God. That is your God. So take the matter to God in prayer. Get on your knees before your face, before God, and say, Lord, I don't have enough for what you want me to do, but with you it is sufficient. I don't have enough time, but with you, it is sufficient. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. We don't have enough. But Lord, if this is what you want us to do, and we are convinced that everything we know of, we're being faithful to you in this, Lord, now you accomplish what you've called us to do. Take the little you have and watch God multiply it and make much of it. And then you stand back like Nehemiah did, and you stand back in awe, and you praise God, and you thank God, and you testify about God and His glory to your children, and you show your grandchildren those things, and you share that around with people who don't get it. But it doesn't matter if they don't get it. You got it. Let 
And when you see Him provide on that occasion, you remember that. You mark it down. You chalk it up. And re-script your life. Because you know another one's going to come. And you can count on God when you take your concerns and your needs before Him and say, God, it's not enough. But you got this, God. Because you've done it before. Not only does God not want you to fear because you are more valuable than a single sparrow that he has not forgotten. But also know that God has compassion on crowds of people who really are not given over to him. How much more do you think that he is deeply interested in those whose hearts are committed to him? Be encouraged and take it to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father, teach us with your Spirit the things that we need to learn and keep upon our hearts these matters in faith that we need to remember. May we go from here being doers of the Word and not hearers only, rescripting our lives with faith, remembering these things which are impossible for us, but yet what you have already shown that you have accomplished even in our personal individual lives, that our Creator is among us and He multiplies even the little that we have to make it sufficient not only for us, but abundant for all who are around. So we ask that you would strengthen our faith in the very promises of God that we might live to glorify you in grander ways and that we might trust you more profound. And as we do, Lord, show us yourself and be glorified in our midst. Hallow your name, we pray. And grow your kingdom that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.